Yesterday, history was made right here in Oklahoma and in many other states around the country. The first doses of the Pfizer vaccine were distributed to a handful of Oklahomans as 33,000 doses of them arrived here in our state. So we're seeing these first vaccines being administered as the country mourns more than 300,000 lives lost, 17,000 in the last week. Well, it's, you know, it's bittersweet, George, because we are still in a terrible situation. More than 1,700 Oklahomans are currently hospitalized due to COVID-19, as the death toll is well past 2,000. But as the virus continues to rage, some hope came this week as the first doses of a vaccine arrived and were administered to frontline health workers across the country and here in Oklahoma. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder, and on this week's episode of Listen Frontier, I speak with my colleague Cassie McClung about the COVID vaccine and how it will be distributed in the weeks and months to come across the state. Also on this week's episode, I speak with the Frontier's Clifton Adcock about the upcoming redistricting process as state lawmakers complete the task of redrawing legislative and congressional lines based on new census data. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, December 16th. So Cassie, it seems like years ago, but it was earlier this year that um, obviously the the pandemic first arrived in Oklahoma and, and you and I began, uh, you know, at the time we were doing daily podcasts on just kind of, you know, trying to keep up with the, the onslaught of information that was coming out every hour, it seemed, in terms of new cases and where it was spreading across the state. And we all knew that eventually in order to really kind of get this virus under control um, fully, it was going to take a vaccine. And back in March, you know, who knew we, I mean, we didn't know when that would be. I mean, there were a lot of experts that said it would take years. And that was based on the fact that it usually does take years for a vaccine uh, to be produced and, um, and delivered and to be proven to be effective. Well, here we are uh, less than a year later and uh, we have a vaccine. We have multiple companies that are releasing vaccines and we had the first uh, doses arrive in the state on Monday. You know, I want to ask you about the nuts and bolts of it. How, you know, I want to ask you about the distribution plan that we're going to see in the coming weeks and months. But first, you were in the room when the first vaccine was as it was administered. Uh, what was that like? Yeah, it was, you know, it was very celebratory. It was at a hospital in Oklahoma City, um, a registered nurse working at Integrist. And she works in the emergency room. So she's around COVID-19 patients all the time. She was the first person to get vaccinated. And there were dozens of reporters, um, state officials. I think Health Commissioner Dr. Fry was standing behind the nurse as she actually got the shot. So I think everyone was in really high spirits. Um, the nurse said, you know, she told reporters how much the vaccine meant to her. She's been working in an ER for the past nine months. You know, she she told us that she she's held numerous patients' hands as they died because their family couldn't be in there because of, you know, COVID measures. So I think it was a pretty emotional day for her and a lot of the healthcare workers in there. Um, people cheered and clapped after she got her vaccine and it, it was, a, it was a really cool experience to be there. I was, I was glad I got to experience that. Yeah. And I mean, an important 
experience for a journalist, especially like yourself, who's been covering um, COVID in Oklahoma maybe more closely than any other reporter, and this has just obviously been your life, as, you know, you're a health health reporter. But I also thought when when I was kind of seeing your tweets and your reporting, I was just I was happy for you that you got to be in that moment. It kind of felt like a, and I know this isn't the most important thing, but it I just it, it kind of hopefully it kind of felt like a a treat uh, you know and it was a treat for all of us right i mean after such a tough year right. and it's not over we'll get into that here in a moment um but it just it it was a moment of kind of relief a, a moment of hope and um i was happy you had a front row seat for it yeah no i was too i i i, uh, I sat on the floor with some other reporters actually in front of where it happened um other reporters have also been covering it very closely from day one so it was really interesting and you know i think it was it was kind of a ray of light in this hard year, and I can only imagine how relieved and hopeful healthcare workers feel. And I know, you know, the vaccines, it's gonna be a long road, but I think it starts a new phase in the state's battle with COVID-19. And I also think um, it starts a new phase in how we cover the pandemic as reporters. Yeah, and that pandem- pandemic continues to rage on. I mean, cases are still at, mm-hmm. uh, you know, near historic levels, the seven day average is, is still, uh, over over three thousand. You look at that graph. We're we're in the we're in the worst phase that we've seen, and um and that's exactly. expected to continue for you know at, at least the next several weeks. And so, is is there a sense that I mean, how how are health officials balancing that? Uh, we are in the thick of the worst period of the pandemic, yet we maybe have never been so hopeful. Um, is there a worry that people may you know kind of see this as uh, a time to, you know, take their eyes off the off the main objective, which is still to continue to try to mitigate the threat of this virus. Is this, I mean, kind of how are people, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, two sides of this coin? Right. So I think you know we've talked before about people feeling really fatigued about staying inside, social distancing. Um, you know, it's it's been a long year. So I think people saying that a vaccine is coming people might get a little bit more relaxed with taking measures. And I hope that's not the case because it's really the worst possible time for that to happen. Because like you said, you know, hospitalizations are at some of their highest levels we've ever seen. And we're seeing an elevated number of deaths, um, a lot of cases every day. So I think um, at, it was Monday when that nurse, uh, the first nurse got vaccinated. Um, Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt said, you know, just because you saw a nurse get a vaccine on TV doesn't mean that you're protected in any way. So I think um, he raised a good point that, you know, people might start seeing people get vaccinated and feel this false sense of safety. Um, But, you know, it's going to be it's going to be quite a while before we're really going to start seeing a difference in case numbers because of the vaccine. It's going to take a long time for people to get vaccinated. You know, it also depends on how willing people are to get vaccinated and how quickly that uh, supply comes in. So there's there's a lot of factors um, that are going to go into that, and it's it's probably going to be, you know, mid next year before we really start to see um, a return to normalcy. Yeah, you and I wrote a story last week on on the vaccine and kind of what to expect when it arrives in Oklahoma and how the state plans to distribute it. Uh, you know, we ended that story with some thoughts from. Uh, some doctors who kind of brought up that idea that like this is a time of hope, but at the same time, it's not going to really solve the problem that we're going to see over the next few weeks, especially which is going to be pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And there was, uh, you know, some concern raised that you know 
some state leaders may be guilty of uh, you know being le- you know resistant to taking charge or or may start to speak differently about the pandemic. You know, listen, there's been plenty of critics of the governor. Um, I guess some could argue my own reporting is, would be included in that. <laughs> but I, on Friday, last Friday, the governor, I think it was last Friday, the governor held a, a press conference to kind of announce, hey, the vaccine's coming and, and that kind of thing. Um, I was really interested to watch his tone. And I will say, I thought it was one of the more, I don't know if you've got a chance to listen to the presser, but mm-hmm. I, I thought it was one of his more forceful press conferences in terms of, this is how serious a problem it is and we need to take it seriously. Now people can, we can debate about the actual actions he takes and whether, you know, mask mandates and other restrictions. I mean, that's, you know, that's obviously part of the equation, but it wasn't a victory lap. It wasn't a mission accomplished, you know, on, on the, on the naval carrier with the banner behind, so to speak. Um, The governor also spoke on Monday when the vaccine was, was, was first distributed. Right. And what, what was his tone then? Right. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll touch a little bit on Friday's speech. You know, I've heard from actually a lot of people that they were surprised with how strongly he came out about the virus um, and, you know, what might have caused that shift of tone. Um, but so Monday, you know, he, he, he said a lot of the same things. He, he was very optimistic about the vaccine coming. Um, but, you know, um, I think he said this a few times before that it's not time for Oklahomans to uh let their foot off the pedal, um, I think is how he put it, um, that, you know, we are in the midst of the worst surge we've ever recorded. And this, you know, this isn't going to get fixed overnight. Uh, it's still very serious. And, you know, even though we have vaccine, um, we're seeing frontline healthcare workers get vaccinated this week. It, they're still struggling with hospital capacity issues. We're still seeing, you know, a lot of people in the hospital, like I said earlier, almost, you know, the highest number we've ever seen. I think yesterday the ICU capacity um, availability was at 4% last night. So it's it's not a time to relax or, you know, start thinking that we're in the clear yet. And that's, that's pretty much what the uh, governor said on Monday when he was announcing it. Optimistic, but very cautious, I think. Yeah. You know, so much attention is on the governor and state officials because the coronavirus has been a crisis that's really been left up to states to deal with. I mean, obviously, the federal government has a role to play in this, but um, it's been individual states that have decided how they're going to act, how they're going to respond. And it's individual states that are going to really determine how the vaccine is distributed. So here in Oklahoma, what is the plan for distributing this vaccine in the weeks and months to come? Right. So like many states, Oklahoma is rolling out the vaccine in a tiered approach. So there's four tiers and they're starting with the people who are at the highest risk of getting COVID-19 and then getting really sick with COVID-19. So this initial shipment we got, um, the state got this week from Pfizer. It's a two dose vaccine taken about 21 days apart. So uh, there's about a little over 33,000 of those vaccines spread across the state. And those are all going to frontline healthcare workers. So people working in emergency departments, um, you know, just hands-on inpatient care. And then next week, um, we're likely to see some of those vaccines going to long-term care facilities, um, you know, nursing home residents and staff, which we know have made up, um, residents anyways, have made up about 40% of all deaths in the state. So they're trying to get those really vulnerable people taken care of right now. And then it's going to kind of trickle down um, to the general public 
as time goes on. But again, that's really going to depend on, you know, how many people in each phase are willing to take the vaccine or are interested in taking the vaccine and how much supplies the state gets from uh, drug manufacturers. So it's the timeline is um, pretty fluid, as officials have been saying. Yeah. And, you know, you, you mentioned how you know, Mayor Holt had said, hey, all because you saw a nurse get it doesn't mean you're covered. I mean, this first phase is kind of are these first phases are going to be kind of reinforcing that these these are not the it's not the general public. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, people, the officials are focusing the vaccine where it's needed most right now, obviously, with with healthcare officials and, and nursing home residents. But it's not going to be the general population that this vaccine is really penetrating yet. I mean, I mean health officials, yes, are, 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 you know, part of the general population, but it's kind of mm-hmm. being contained, you know, when you look at the locations, the hospitals, nursing homes. Um, so it's not even going to be to those later phases that we even start to see that, you know, our neighbors are, are getting the vaccine, so to speak. Right, exactly. And hopefully before then, you know, like I mentioned earlier, how disproportionately nursing homes have been affected by COVID-19, hopefully before the general public gets that vaccine, we'll start seeing fewer deaths um, from the virus. But it's it's going to be a while, yeah, before, you know, you see your neighbor getting the vaccine or you yourself, if you're in um, the last phase with the general public, are probably going to get the vaccine as well. So um, it's kind of, we're kind of in a waiting period now, I think, um, just waiting for the vaccine to roll out. So it's, it's still time to hunker down, I think, and wait. Yeah, I think it was last late last week. Uh, state health officials kind of held a, a, a press availability online. Um, I listened in. I know you were a part of that. You asked some questions. Uh, you know, one thing that was interesting to me was it was said that the state's not necessarily going to wait for everyone in each phase to get it before they move on to the next one. Meaning that if there are people mm-hmm. who are resistant within a phase, um, they're not necessarily going to wait around too long. Um, you know, before moving on to the next group of people to to start administering the vaccine. Right. So I thought that was interesting, too. They're not going to just, I guess, you know, the, even the tiers are kind of fluid. So, you know, you might not be done with phase one. Um, the state might not be done with vaccinating them, but might start vaccinating people in phase two. So um, I think ha- vaccine hesitancy is going to be a problem as, um, you know, it starts becoming more widely available to people. And I think it was uh, interim state epidemiologist Jared Taylor said during our panel, um, I think that was last week, time is getting away from me, um, that they're not going to put, the state isn't going to put a lot of resources into trying to convince people um, to get the vaccine. They're, you know, people who are already very hesitant or just do not want it, they're going to, you know, they're going to, they're, they're letting people make those decisions for themselves, and they're really going to try to focus their resources on the people who do want it and really need it. Yeah. You referenced a panel, and I'd say we, uh, the Frontier, hosted a, a virtual panel last week with uh, health officials to kind of go over some questions that many of our readers have on on the vaccine, and, and that's on our, our YouTube page and on our website at readfrontier.org. So I definitely encourage people to circle back and, and listen to that. Some, re- some really great information, um, a panel discussion that uh, that you hosted um, you know, one thing that's also interesting is we talk about, you know, trying to convince people to take the vaccine. A statistic we had in our story that we did last week was uh, there's been some limited polling, but some polling on whether or not Oklahomans feel comfortable with the vaccine. And a poll from September, which is, you know, is a, a long time ago, a lot of things have changed, mm-hmm. you know, showed that about half of Oklahomans are skeptical about taking the vaccine. Now, I would say this, that every question I think you ask these days is interpreted in a political way. 
Um, so I don't know that that means that 50% of people are saying they're not going to take the vaccine. But when a pollster called and asked them what they thought about the vaccine, they're probably thinking about the political climate at the time and answering with that mm-hmm. lens on. Um, and it's people from both sides of the aisle, right? I mean, we included some thoughts from from an Oklahoman, uh, a liberal Oklahoma. It's not this you know conservative anti-vaxxer. This was someone who didn't trust the current administration. How much of an issue do we think that's going to be in a state like Oklahoma that already has some of the highest opt-out rates when it comes to other vaccines? A very conservative state where many parts uh, of many rural communities especially have been very skeptical about just anything they hear about the seriousness of the virus. Is this going to be an issue here in Oklahoma? I think it will be. I don't know, you know how big of an issue it's going to be remains to be seen, but I I do think it's going to be an issue, you know, getting people to want to take the vaccine because I still think there's that belief, you know, other than people who just are um, not for vaccines in general is the belief that there could be some serious complications with a vaccine and that um, COVID-19 has a very high recovery rate and um, that it's just not worth the risk. So I think as it starts rolling out, especially to the general public, I mean, even in, you know, long-term care facilities, that is probably going to be an issue. But I think especially with the public, we're going to start seeing people, um, you know, very hesitant or not willing to take the vaccine. Yeah. And something that health officials have said that I think has been encouraging is that, um, you know, the, the success rates have been, you know, you know, extremely good, uh, you know, 90 mm-hmm. to 95 percent, you know, much better than a lot of the other vaccines that we see, uh, you know, for other illnesses. Um, and we have worked a lot faster in, in producing this vaccine than on others. Uh, but, you know, v- many health officials have said that's not because we've cut corners. It's just because we right. really intensified our focus on this. There's been a lot of government investment in this. You know, the whole world has kind of rallied to this. So uh, a, a quickly produced vaccine, but not necessarily a hast- hastily produced one in terms of uh, cutting corners. I mean, tests and trials were still done, and and doctors and scientists seem to still feel pretty confident in the data that they've seen from this. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think one of the biggest hurdles, you know, in getting this vaccine widely distributed is making sure people have easily understandable and digestible information surrounding vaccine safety. Because, you know, as me and, uh, me and you, Ben, we've you know, we've talked to experts, we hosted that panel, we've done stories about the vaccine, this information, uh, we see it every day. Uh, but, you know, people, everyday people who, you know, not aren't necessarily following the vaccines every move or regulators everyday moves, you know, might not be seeing what we're seeing. So I do sympathize with, you know, the hesitancy around the vaccine. But I do think that, you know, there has to be better information out there for people who are considering getting it. Um, so I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but I, I do sympathize with people who don't understand or haven't necessarily been watching how the vaccine's been developed because through their eyes, it might seem like it was rushed or that corners were cut. But in reality, you know, there's been trials, there's so many hurdles that pharmaceutical companies have to jump over before they can get a vaccine approved. Um, so Experts, doctors, regulators are saying that this vaccine is very safe, it's very effective, and um, that it's ready for widespread distribution. Yeah. Well, definitely a hopeful week, um, but the beginning of a very challenging period uh, for the whole world, for the whole country, but you know, even here in Oklahoma, as health officials now have to you know, traverse the logistics of distributing a vaccine, convincing the public to take that vaccine, and convincing the public to continue to uh, be on guard 
as the as the virus continues uh kind of its worst phase um even mm-hmm. though we're seeing seeing some signs of hope so hey cassie thanks for, thanks for your reporting um once again I was, I was glad that you were able to to witness that historic event and, and hopefully we'll continue to see more of those in the future yeah me too thank you very much tasks facing state legislators this coming year is going to be the process of redrawing the lines for House and Senate districts and congressional districts across the state of Oklahoma. Using the latest census data, which is slated to be released in April, lawmakers will decide where to draw the lines and how the public is represented at the state and federal level. The Frontier's Clifton Adcock has been watching this process which began last week with a public meeting in which lawmakers outlined the process they plan to take over the next several months in redrawing district lines. So Cliff, uh, you know, 2021 is a big year uh, for redistricting. States all across the country are going to be redrawing their uh, state legislature and congressional uh, district lines. Um, You know, here in a state like Oklahoma, that's a, a, a dominantly Republican state. Uh, the balance of power isn't really up for grabs uh, in terms of uh, how those lines are going to be drawn. Um, but critics say that, you know, with, with such Republican power that uh, legislators, legislators might be able to, you know, make it even more friendly towards the, the party in charge. You know, before we, we talk about kind of what to expect in the next year in terms of, you know, the, the partisan, sh- partisan debate, um, what is this process going to look like? What are, what should we, what are you going to be watching when it comes to redistricting over the next year? Sure. Well, so far they've uh, the House Speaker uh, McCall has broken up the uh, state into several uh, districts. I got redistricting districts, uh, and basically every uh, every one of those districts have a subcommittee on it. And every legislator right now is sitting on a district. That's Republicans and Democrats uh, that kind of represent their uh, the district that they're in. Uh, now, so what they're doing is uh, the Senate and the House are uh, kind of working together on this process, and they're holding a series of 18 uh, public meetings across the state. They had some in um, uh, Chickasha, Lawton uh, last week, and Oklahoma City. The House did, um, and the Senate. Uh, so right now, they're going around and uh, having these public meetings, gathering up public input. Uh, about uh, the redrawing of the lines and, you know, hearing from citizens and stuff like that. Um, So they're hoping to get uh, all the uh, census data from the U.S. Census Bureau by April. uh, So then they can start putting pen to paper and uh, redrawing or preserving some of those uh, congressional House and Senate uh, districts. You know, most people might be familiar with the uh, state question attempt uh, this past year um, to, to allow Oklahoma voters to decide whether or not to change the process to to use a a, a nine person committee uh, with three Republicans, three Democrats, three independents to kind of redraw these lines in a more public way. But you're describing that you know that state question ultimately didn't make it onto the ballot. But you're describing so far a process that seems fairly open, or at least is trying to be open. Um, is that the case? And is that going to continue? That that seems to be the case. Um, right now they're they're accepting public input, and they're also 
uh, accepting uh, ideas for redrawing the maps from the public. Uh, now they say, if you're gonna submit one of those maps, you have to have the whole state. It can't just be your, the district you live in. Uh, so yeah, they, they have opened it up uh, to the public and public input. Um, and uh, come uh, April 1st is what they're looking at as far as getting the census data. That's when, that's when we'll see, you know, kind of what, what really changes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this is, uh, this is fairly open. Um, it's, uh, it's not, again, it is the legislature uh, making the final decisions on these. It's not a, uh, you know, independent public committee or anything like that. But uh, so far, it has been uh, pretty open. And so I think uh, when you look at the history of this country and the state, I mean, Republicans and Democrat, Democrats have been you know, kind of equally guilty, I think, in terms of drawing, you know, these district lines that benefit them. And, um, and it's not really, you know, when I, when I look at this issue, it's not always cut and dry about what, what does it mean to benefit yourself? I mean, uh, take, for example, the, the congressional seats, you know, the five, the five U.S. House districts. I mean, you know, some people have worried about CD5, which the Republicans just flipped back into their control with uh, uh, Stephanie Bice winning that race against uh, Kendra Horn. Um, but if you try to make that district more Republican, um, you know, you take away some Republican votes from some other districts. And so it's not always kind of a clear cut line of like, you know, if you make it better for a Republican in this district, that you're just making it better for Republicans overall. And it's interesting that you say that they're saying, listen, if you're going to give us an idea, you got to tell us how to deal with the rest of the state, because when you change one line, there's kind of a domino effect across the, almost the rest of the state, right? That's right. That's right. And you have to have a fairly even uh, uh, number of people in each one of those districts. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, if you, if you mess with one line, it's going to shift the population on another, uh, you have to be, I believe it's within 10% for this, uh, 10% of each, uh, district, uh, in the state legislative, uh, districts. And, uh, I think around, um, I think it's less than 1%, uh, for congressional districts. Yeah. And, and trying to get an equal amount of people in each district uh, for the most part. I mean, that's one reason why you get these kind of oddly shaped districts, because you're trying to find pockets of population. But we've also seen that these oddly shaped districts are to try to capture the voters that, you know, you know benefit yourself. I, so, so far, this process is, is in public. There's these public meetings. The public is being invited to participate. Is that always going to be the case, though? Or is this going to go back to the, uh, you know, the, the dark smoke filled room, so to speak, that we've seen in the past. Well, at the uh, at the end of the day, you know, after the public meetings, um, it's going to be up to the uh, legislature to uh, redraw the lines and they're going it'll have to go through like any other piece of legislation. They'll have to introduce uh, a bill, um, you know, that has the uh, the new maps in it. It'll have to pass the House, have to pass the Senate, uh, and then ultimately we'll need the uh, governor to sign off on it. So. Uh, there's there's still you know potential for for some shenanigans, but uh, so far uh, right now it's uh, it's you know fairly transparent. Um, yeah, and it sounds like this process is going to be as public as the normal legislative process is, which is often public but also often private. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's about who has control with the votes, right? So the Republicans have. Uh, the majority, uh, you know, a, a large majority of both the House and Senate, um, you know, so getting bills passed uh, for the Republicans is not always a challenge, although sometimes you see some inter interparty uh, squabbles and, and disagreements. Um, but this will be in, in introduced publicly like a bill, and it'll be debated on the on the House floor like we see other bills. And I'm sure that, you know, the Democrats will probably have a chance, you know, we'll, we'll take that opportunity to criticize some of the decisions. 
Um, but crafting that bill, that's what takes place behind kind of closed doors, right? Right, right, exactly. But when the uh, finished product arrives out, there's been a lot of negotiation that's already happened uh, prior to that. And, um, you know, one of the things uh, from some of the meetings that I've set in on uh, that people have talked about is they they don't want their community, you know, split between uh, legislative or congressional districts. You've heard from some, especially there in Oklahoma County, they're kind of on, on the borders of some of those uh, um, legislative districts right now. They're asking that, hey, we just would like one person that we can contact instead of having to talk to three or four different representatives. Um, so they're they're going to take those those uh, requests and recommendations. Uh, I believe one of the one of the uh, groups was the Choctaw Chamber of Commerce that was actually bringing that up, uh, and uh, some of the mayors of the smaller towns attended those meetings. That we we just want one you know legislate House member and Senate member that we can go to with our problems rather than having to split our efforts across three or four different um, different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're waiting um, until later in twenty one for the census data to come back to give us kind of the specific numbers that the legislature will be working with. Uh, do we have any indications yet though, that where they think that some of the, some of the biggest changes might be in terms of population or where we've seen some of the most, most growth. I mean, what are some of the areas that are going to be interesting to watch in terms of, you know, lines are going to have to be redrawn because of population changes. Right. The urban areas, uh, obviously Oklahoma city area, Norman, um, Tulsa area and, and those places has been talked that uh, they might uh, get uh, three or more uh, new districts in those areas, which of course, then that means that some of the rural areas are going to lose uh, uh, representatives and, um, you know, they'll be folded into uh, some of the existing um, congr- uh, uh, legislative lines. And that'll be probably where the delicate balance is, right? Because urban areas have been where Democrats have had really their only success in recent years. I mean, they have flipped several seats in Oklahoma City and Tulsa, and the base of the Democratic Party in Oklahoma really is the urban core. And in some races, you've seen it kind of bleed into the outer, the inner suburbs, and you know a little bit maybe into here in Oklahoma City, Edmond area. When you look at the congressional race, but so that's going to be interesting as they redraw those lines. If you add seats to the urban areas. Um, you're potentially adding more opportunities for Democrats. It's not quite as cut and dry as that, but I would imagine that for Republicans, that's going to be something that they're going to have to feel like they're going to kind of walk a, a fine line on, right? That's right. That's where you're going to going to have to watch it um, because you know obviously there's uh, the case where you want to uh, in these legislative uh, uh, redistricting things, it's the legislators picking their voters uh, rather than the voters picking their legislators a lot of times. So. Um, now, the uh, people who are heading it for the House and Senate, heading the redistricting effort for the House and Senate, uh, they're saying they don't have access to uh, some of those voting records and stuff like that. And they're promising that it'll be clean and will be you know, done regardless of where those voters lie. So, But again, this goes behind closed doors for the legislators to hammer out and uh, you know, come up with uh, uh, what they want in terms of uh, redistricting. And so the the process will end. You said with the governor's uh, having to appro- the governor having to approve this, uh, and so we expect that by the end of this next legislative session. Then, that's right. They're uh, hoping to have the census data from the U.S. Census Bureau by April first, April Fool's Day, <laughs> and uh, hoping to have uh, have it drawn up and um, signed by the governor by the end of the legislative session. And then it takes effect in 2022 elections. Okay, so setting the battlefield for the next decade of elections here in Oklahoma. Uh, this will definitely be an interesting process that uh, 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 you know you're going to be watching, and uh, we'll we'll check in with you from time to time to see how that process is going. Appreciate it, Cliff. Thank you.
That's going to do it for this week's episode of Listen Frontier. This episode included audio from KOCO and ABC News. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with you for another episode next week.